This is a sermon from Cornerstone Church in Kingston. We're delighted to make these resources available for you and hope that you enjoy the ministry of God's Word today. There are lots of other resources on our website which we are pleased to make available and you can browse our website and download sermons and podcasts, read blogs and articles. And if you've been listening for a while and you would like to get to know the church or for us to get to know you a bit, there is an e-contact card, a welcome card that you can fill in on our website and we'd love to hear from you. Romans 9 verse 30. What then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith? But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous before God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law. So that, every, so, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth as you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Thanks, Abray. Um, good evening from me. Uh, may I add my welcome? My name's uh, Rory Kinnaird. I'm one of the, the members of staff here at, at Cornerstone. Uh, and this is uh, the last uh, of a series that we've been doing in Romans. We've been looking at these just wonderful uh, gospel sentences, really. And it's just really exciting to, to close it off with this, this passage here. Uh, we're going to pray for our time uh, and then we'll get stuck in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, for 
the things that we've just sung. Uh, We thank you for the reminder that we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus. And so let us do so uh, tonight. Let us uh, look at his face. And as we look at his face, we pray, Father, that the things of this world will grow dim, that the distractions of this world will be taken away from us as we revel in your glory and your grace. Give us a greater vision of Christ, we pray. Uh, And we pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, Now, many of you will be familiar uh, that this Friday there was a a finale of a show which millions uh, tuned into. I I looked the, the viewing figures up. I don't understand viewing figures, so someone can, might be able to help me. On average, 5.5 million people tuned into this show, but at peak, 6.9 million people uh, tuned in. Does anyone understand that? Oh, thank you. I knew there was a reason that God put you in the front row today, brother. Okay. Does anyone know what show it was? It was, tra- it was the Traitors finale. Now, uh, Traitors... If you don't know what Traitors is, it's like a huge game of the game Mafia. And if you don't know what the great game of Mafia is, it's not great, I hate Mafia. But if you don't know Mafia, well, I can't help you, okay? Now, uh, essentially what Traitors is, is there are people that are killing people off, and there are people who are faithful. We have the faithful, and we have traitors. And the traitors have to work out, no, the traitors have to kill the faithful, and the faithful have to try and work out who the traitors are. And what happens during the show is that they always seem to think that I can trust people. It's a classic phrase. I have never heard in one show the phrase 100% as many times as traitors. It's always, I 100% trust you. You're 100% faithful. And it is a wonderful thing when they say you're 100% faithful and they turn out to be a traitor who's killed them. Has, it, does anyone, has everyone seen the fight? Can I spoil it? Oh, I knew that would happen. My brother once did that in a, in a show called Game of Thrones. He's told everyone online who died. Shall I do it? Look at I'm really like, I will walk out. Uh, no. So I won't do that. But essentially, if you misplace your trust in someone, you'll either end up dead or you might even lose all the money at the end. And that is our world. You have to work out, can I trust or or can I not trust? Uh, We live in a world that is full of information. Uh, Is it fake news or is it true? I did did an opener with their soul the other day and I put some pictures up and they had to work out, is it a real picture or not? And half of them, they didn't have a clue. We have to work out, can I trust that that is real or can I trust if it's fake? And I think this is, these, these shows and, and, and the, the world of information reveal to us that we have to trust in something, but so often we get it wrong. And here's the question. What is it that you're trusting in? Who is it that you're believing in? And what do your words say about what you trust? Is it misplaced? I think these shows show that it's so often misplaced. So often our trust is put in something. So often our trust is put in 
someone, whether it's uh, the object of money and, and having a, a great amount of wealth that can get us out of all the problems that face us. Maybe it is in a, a friendship or a family that we think, oh, that will be the thing that can sort all my problems out. Maybe it's a, a government or the authorities that uh, are above us that we think they may be able to, to sort us out. But so often those things that we put our trust in turns out to be shaky ground. So often it goes wrong. Sometimes we put our trust in ourselves. We believe that terrible lie that's preached at schools. You can do it. If you believe it, achieve it. What a naff saying, just because it rhymes. Believe and achieve? Conceive? No. The whole school system says if you just trust in yourself, you can do it. If you, can, if, you, if you do it, you can do it. You can save the world. You can save the world. We can save the world. But the results of putting our trust in anything in this world is disastrous and pretty dangerous. You know, this message that kids can save the world and they get the, the pressure that they've got to save the world, that somehow a five-year-old, by putting his wrapper in the bin, and uh, as long as he does some sort of activism, he can save this world from burning up. What sort of pressure is that to put on a child? They just want to play toy soldiers. It's disastrous. And there's a, a great mental health depression result. We cannot save the world. We cannot save other people. We cannot save ourselves. When you put your trust in these things, it's a disaster. And I think... We've seen this in our series in Romans. Our first sermon looked at Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 and 23 to 24. You can look at it with me. It says this in chapter 3 verse 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. And then later on, it says, for all have sinned, verse 23, and fall short of the glory of God. And we feel a deeply distressing predicament. All have fallen short. In other words, we failed the exam. We've missed the mark. See, ever since Adam and Eve fell, we all have not been able to do it. The, the school system says you can do it. The Bible says you can't do it. Ever since Adam, they, they stopped doing what they were meant, they were made to do in that they were made to serve God, the living God. Their purpose was to live for him, to live to glorify him. But ever since they rejected him, they walked out on him, they were not able to please him no longer. They were no longer fit for purpose. And every single one of us since then have not been fit for purpose. We have replaced God as our authority and we've made ourselves the authority and the results are disastrous. And so ever since that, we failed the exam. We walk into the exam, we realize we can't pass it. We come to our performance review every year and we fail again. We fail again. You failed your, your performance review. You cannot get to God. You've replaced God as master and you've made yourself the authority. You've now brought yourself onto the master of Satan. And do you know what? It got worse from there, really. <laughs> so hopefully you're feeling quite low. 
because it got worse. Because in Romans 6, 23, we see that the wages from our master, the wages of sin is death. See, all that walking out on God, the consequences of that is that we face both death physically, but also spiritual death. And it is a dark, dark picture. But when things are dark, the light shines brightly. And you may have been in one of those really dark tunnels and and you think, is this tunnel ever ending? And then suddenly you just see a pinprick of light, a little glimmer. And that glimmer is called but. Because in chapter 6, verse 23, it says, but the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. You have earned yourself death, yet God has a gift of eternal life. And then you may ask the question, how is this possible? How, how, can I, how can I have this gift? I can't earn it. It's a gift. We know that gifts aren't earned. If I had to earn it, it wouldn't be a gift. It would be a wage. So how do I get, how do I get this gift? How, how is it that God has given this gift? And we've got the wonderful, breathtaking demonstration of God's love in chapter 5, verse 8, which said, and we should read it again, and glory, we could, I could sing again if you really want, but I doubt you do. But God demonstrates his own love for, his, for us in this While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. The greatest demonstration of love. None greater than this. No greater way to give the gift of eternal life than for Christ to pour out his precious blood to win us to be sons of the living God. And so you might ask the question, so what now? How is it that I may receive this gift of eternal life, this amazing love gift? How do I get it? How do I enjoy the benefits of it? Now, what we tend to do as humans to answer that question is we think we should do something. Because at heart, we all think that we can get ourselves right with God. Even though we've been presented with this amazing demonstration of love, we still come back and we say, what can I do to attain this? What can I do? Can I say some prayers? Can I do some sacraments that may somehow get me right and may somehow give me this gift of eternal life? I think that's what's going on in verse 6 to 7 of chapter 10. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. There is something in us that says, maybe I can do something and reach Christ and reach him and get up there and and maybe I'll say a few prayers and I can get Christ to come back down or maybe I can dig, 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 dig really deep and I'll find Christ and I'll bring him back up. I can do something surely to get myself right and give me this gift of eternal life. That is the language of unbelief and self-righteousness. That is the language of someone who tries to justify themselves. And, the, and Paul is saying, no, that's not how it works. We don't need to say that. Christ has come near us. Christ has come near us. Christ has done the work. And so how is it that we get this gift of eternal life? Well, I've got two points. You'll be relieved to know. Two points. First point, the mouth declares 
Jesus is Lord. The mouth declares that Jesus is Lord. Do you see that? The first verse, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith. In verse 10, it's the mouth that declares. The word declares means agreement or approval or, or assent. I think Avery said before that he gives his assent that Northumberland is a beautiful place. Is that the word you used? Something like that. Oh, a test. I've got it wrong. Okay. But it's to say, look, I, I, I agree. I, I voice what I believe. The word actually means to confess something that you are convinced of and hold to be true. That's the word declares. That's what, that's what declares means. You confess something that you are convinced of and hold to be true. In other words, you're going to stand up and you're going to speak out. You're going to stand up in public and you're going to speak out in the presence of others. And you're going to say, I am certain. But what is it that we are to say? What are we to say? Jesus is Lord. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean for you to stand up and to say, Jesus is Lord? What are you in essence saying when you say those three words that are so important, Jesus is Lord? You are saying, by saying he is Lord, the word, I think, kyrios, it is, he is master, he is the ruler, he is the sovereign king, he is the sovereign one of all the universe. He is the one that we saw in Colossians by, by, what, by who all things are made and in him and for him and through him. All things that you see, all things that you do not see, Jesus is in control of. And if he is king, if he is master and if he is Lord of your life, that means you owe him your allegiance. That means that every single inch of my life belongs to him. That means that if he is my Lord, I listen to his word. I obey his word. His word is my deepest priority. And he is the one that I serve. Remember we talked about Adam and Eve. That's what their purpose was. If I'm saying that Jesus is Lord, my purpose is to serve him. He's the one I listen to. I was saying to, to, the, to the Rooted lot, if he is Lord, our youth group, sorry, if you don't know what Rooted is, 15 to 18. So if he is Lord, he is the one I listen to about my sex life. If he is Lord, he is the one I listen to about who I'm going to marry. If he is Lord, he is the one who I listen to about what university I may go to. If he is Lord, he is the one to I, whom I listen to, to where I work. He directs everything in my life. He is the one who is in sovereign control. He is the one who rules us. And so with the mouth, we declare Jesus is Lord. But it's not just mere words, this. This isn't just like, oh, I, I, if I just say it, I'm okay. <laughs> I can't just say, oh, Jesus is Lord. It's not like, you know, when you were in trouble growing up and you had to say, sorry, sorry. Yeah. It's not when, you're, when you, say, you used to say, oh, no, I won't, I won't do it again. And then, you, you know, the next moment you were, you were definitely doing it again. It's not when you say, I'm 100% a faithful, and you're clearly not a faithful. No, it's more than just words. 
is my second point. The heart believes that Jesus is savior. The heart believes that Jesus is savior. See, it's not just empty words here. And it's not just an intellectual understanding of who Jesus is. Like we go to school and have an intellectual understanding of algebra if you're any good at maths. This is, this is actually speaking out what you hold to be true in your heart. That's why I think that word declare is a quite a helpful word, isn't it? That we confess something that we are convinced of and hold it to be true. It is that we've accept God's demonstration of love as his gift of eternal life. And so in verse nine, it says to us, if you read with me, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's with your heart that you are justified. Now, why does he say rose from the dead? Why, why would you go with that one? What, does not the other things matter that Jesus did? Why that Jesus rose from the dead, that God rose from the dead? Well, I think the reason he does that is because wrapped up in everything that the resurrection is, is all that Jesus did. The resurrection really announces that Christ lived the perfect life. The resurrection reminds us that Jesus Christ was hung on a cross for the sins of the world. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ says that that crucifixion and that life that he lived was met with approval from the Father. That that the, the sacrifice that paid my penalty, remember the wages of sin, he paid off my wages of sin in his death. God says, that's been paid for by your death. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ reminds us that not only did he rise from the dead, but that he ascended to the Father and he sits at the right hand of the Father right now. And so his words, it is finished, hold to be true because the work of Jesus is done. That's why he sits down. And that's what we are to believe in our hearts. That is what we are trusting, leaning upon, relying upon. That is what we have to love in our hearts. And if we love that, if we love the fact that Jesus did all of that, his death is my death. His life is my life. His resurrection is my resurrection. His glory is my glory. And so it means, verse 9, you will be saved. It means, verse 10, you will be justified, seen as innocent, seen as right before God. One incredible mercy and grace of God that if we just trust in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, trust that he did indeed die for me, that I can be seen as right before God. God Almighty, God the Holy, Holy, Holy One, the ever pure one, that me, a sinner, can look at God in the face and he can say, you are right. And so Jesus is Savior. That's what the heart believes. The heart believes that Jesus is Savior. And Jesus has saved us to call him Lord. That's the saving lordship of Jesus. 
He doesn't save you to go and make, keep yourself as Lord. He saves you to bring you back to live as you were meant to live with Jesus as the sovereign king of your life right before God again to live out your purpose. You're fit for purpose again. You've been fixed. And so with your heart, believe that Jesus is savior. With your mouth, confess that he is Lord. That's why it's great to hear, just to have Tom come up here and tell us how he was converted. That's why conversion and baptisms are just so important. Why? Because you can look back to the point where you believed in your heart and you declared with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's one of my favorite parts of um, the baptism uh, ceremony. Look at this. So when we dunk people, we can use it again, uh, laminated. And I love it because we say these questions. Do you believe and trust in his only son, Jesus Christ, who was crucified for our sins, rose from the dead, and is the only way of salvation to which those who are getting baptized says, I do. And at the end we say, do you submit to Christ as Lord? And this warms my heart every time. You did it last time, Scarlett. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Jesus Christ is Lord. And then as Christians, we can look back to that point where we made promises that we would commit to living for Christ as Lord. Where we remember that he saved me. And there is great assurance for us that the sovereign God, the sovereign Lord Jesus will hold me. We sung about it before. He'll hold me fast. And we can look back if we've, if we've erred, if we've gone away and we said, actually, we said that Jesus Christ would be Lord. Let me recommit to him. He's my savior. He loved me so much that he died on the cross whilst I was a sinner. Let me recommit to him. That's why our baptisms, if we're often when we are grown up in Christian families, our baptisms remind us. That's why if we can remember our conversion, it reminds us that's the moment that's helpful. And so if we confess with our heart and mouth that Christ is both savior and Christ is Lord, look at our results in verse 11 to 13. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you see the great gospel promises? You'll be saved. The great predicament that we saw at the start of this sermon is dealt with when Christ dies on the cross for you and you trust in him. You'll be richly blessed in verse 12. And you'll never be put to shame. Isn't that a lovely promise? In a world where we so often feel guilt and we so often feel shame. And even as Christians, we feel that we get it wrong and we mess up. Yet with Christ, we will never be put to shame. Christ doesn't drag us through the ringer. He loves us. And if we trust in him, we will never be put to shame. It's amazing promises. Sam. What about you? What about you? Maybe you're here 
and you've come to an end of yourself, you've realized that this world is a desperate, desperate world, and you've realized there is nothing that anyone or anything or yourself can do to save yourself. Maybe you've realized that you've been searching and you think, oh, I really wish there was someone who could give me purpose and meaning. Maybe you're here and you felt shame and you felt guilt. Well, then maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time ever, and maybe you've heard these things over and over again and you've never done this, but maybe for the first time ever, you'll believe in your heart You will accept in your heart, you will trust that Jesus has paid my sin. He is my savior. And with your mouth, maybe you'll declare that Jesus is Lord tonight. You won't regret it. But if you do, if you don't do this, let me warn you that there is a day coming And Philippians promises us this. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, whether you like it or not, Jesus is Lord. Whether you want him to be your savior or not, or not, Jesus is Lord. He is king. He is sovereign. He is ruler over all. And so you can either confess Jesus to be Savior and Lord today, or you can confess that he is Lord when he returns and face him as judge. I urge you to know the loving gift of eternal life that Jesus has to offer you now. Know him as Savior and know him as Lord. Believe in your heart and declare him to be Lord with your mouth. And then Christian, Christian, keep on declaring. Keep on declaring. Every day, thank you, Jesus, that you are both Savior and you are Lord. Keep on trusting him. He's the sovereign one. He's the sovereign king. He's the one who knows best for you. He's the one who you need to listen to. And and, and so often we can be tempted, can't we, to trust other things. I can easily just put my foot, I've got my feet on a rock that is Christ. It is so uh, steadfast and firm. And yet sometimes I, I look at other things and think maybe that can give me a bit of salvation. Maybe that can give me a bit of satisfaction. And I put my foot on it and it's like one of those, those ice icicles that you see that's so unstable and shaking and will break up and will drown me. Don't be tempted to put your, your foot on one of them. Don't be tempted to start resting on your education or your money or your family or your friends. Don't be tempted to trust in them. Keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And put every area of your life under his control. That's hard. Because actually I quite like having some stuff on my own. Yeah, but if he is the sovereign Lord of all, he demands that all is put under him. And now Christians, now we've been reminded of these things. We have seen the great depth of our despair. We have seen the great gift of God's in his amazing demonstration of love. 
And we have seen that if we have trusted in him, we are saved. So let us do verse 14 to 15 together. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We are benefactors of this incredible gospel. And it should be our heart's desire that other people hear this great message, that they believe it in their heart and they declare with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Do you want beautiful feet? (laughs) My feet are incredibly ugly. Yet when I take the gospel out to people, there's no better looking feet in the world. Let us have beautiful feet, Cornerstone. Let us have a desire, as we heard this morning, to seize the opportunities that present themselves and tell people about the wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ so that they may confess that he is Lord with their mouth and that they may believe in the heart and they will be saved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for these, this incredible book. And we thank you for these great gospel sentences that we have looked at. We thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he did indeed live the perfect life. That he died the death that we so deserved, but that he was risen again in triumphant victory and he ascended to sit at the right hand of you. And we pray, Father, that it will be that that we put our hope and our trust in. Let us not misplace our trust. Let us keep hold of him. Let us respond to him as both Savior and Lord. And we pray, Father, that as we gaze upon him, as we see what a glorious Savior and Lord we have, we pray that we will live our lives in allegiance to him and that we will go and we will proclaim to this world, this lost world, that Jesus is both Savior and Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen.